Before we kick off today's episode, I want to let you all know that the applications for Varsity Spark are now open. Varsity Spark is a really cool inter-varsity crowdfunding competition, which basically allows students to put their ideas forward onto the platform and for the best idea to be voted on by other students with a cash prize of up to €10,000. A really, really cool competition. So recommend that everyone checks them out on both Instagram and on LinkedIn. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, my guest is Hannah Lynch. So Hannah is a graduate of law and business at Trinity. She is currently a project manager and blockchain analyst at Deloitte. And during her time at Trinity, she placed in the Trinity Dragon's Den competition. She was a prize winner at the Techstars Startup Weekend. And now she currently is still a Startup Weekend mentor on the side. So lots to be learned from Hannah. So Hannah and I have had a lot of overlap in our lives from same school, although different year, to same college course, and then a bit of intermingling between time when I was working in the blockchain space and a little bit of an overlap in our Startup Weekend mentoring. So I'm really delighted to have you on the podcast, Hannah, so I can formally pick your brains and for it not to just be nosy. (laughs) So welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Kate. It's really great to be here. Um, and I actually did give that a thought earlier, kind of thought I was being interviewed a little bit by, by my double in a lot of ways. I feel like we've taken a lot of the same routes and things over the past couple of years. Yeah, interesting that we've, we've ended up in, in different paths now. So um, maybe we'll tease out where, where our different divergence came. Mm. Um, yeah. But so on that note, a great place to start would be if you could just talk to us about your college course, so law and business, you know, why did you take that route? Why was that the course for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think kind of going back to being in school, I think as a young teenager, I was always really decisive or always thought that I was, um, really felt like I like made decisions early and so I did make the decision on my college course really early and um, it was probably like early fifth year I would say where I chose law and business um, and that was the course that I was working towards then um, I actually found it a really great motivator for the leaving cert um, I do kind of wonder how so many students kind of work towards that really really difficult time particularly at the moment say mm-hmm. um, without kind of a defined point um, in their head for where they're moving towards so that was it for me um, and I think after I chose it I didn't really think about it much after that um, but yeah. I think uh, yeah the, m- much like yourself I'm sure the split of law and business was really what drew me did spend time researching hybrid courses um, and I think to any like younger people um, like my little sisters I would always really recommend um, a split like that uh, in looking for a college course I think um, it can be really difficult to choose one area that you want to study. It's a very daunting decision to make while you're in school. And I think having, I suppose, that flexibility and having two business or two uh, subject areas um, Mm. makes kind of that choice a lot easier. Yeah, I I totally agree on that point. Um, Do you think now, if you were going back and you were back to your fifth year self, do you think you'd be choosing that same split retrospectively? I think I would still choose a hybrid course, but I think now looking, I suppose, at the areas that I find myself really interested in, particularly technology, um, I think if I had to choose again, I would probably choose computer science and business. Um, I think computer science is a course I absolutely would have loved, um, except for being absolutely terrible at maths. So I probably... I probably would have had a high potential failing out of any of the maths modules in that course. (laughs) 
That's funny that you but, say that because I I asked that because I was thinking about it recently and I had said to someone, yeah, I think I would have done computer science and business if I were to, to go back and, and do it again. But that said, um, and I'm not sure, I'd be interested to get your take on it, but I do feel like there's a lot of stuff that I learned from studying law in terms of, you know, a way of thinking, a way of analyzing, a way of reading that definitely stands to me now. So curious to hear what, how you found that and whether you were ever tempted to go down that law route. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in terms of that hybrid choice, my first choice, I suppose, to pair my second subject with was always law. Um, I think probably because I was very into debating public speaking. I was a very argumentative child. People always <laughs> told me that I would be a lawyer. <laughs> um, and I think for that reason, then that was always something that was in my head. Um, so uh so yeah I, I think uh sorry I've completely you do find that you like have learnings from the kind of law side of things that you would take with you now or is it largely redundant those kind of skills you think oh no certainly not um I think yeah like absolutely law is like teaches you a really brilliant way of thinking and I think going back to my point about being a really argumentative child I think I love that aspect of the course um I think law and business really allowed me to meet people who like think quite similar to how I do who like are happy to sit down um on a night in a pub with a pint and kind of like have a chat and really a debate or an argument with you and that was kind of a normal part of the course um, I probably sound like a complete nerd saying that but um that, that was something I really loved in college um and I think something like maybe particularly as a girl you can get quite criticized for when you were younger but I really found that um being in a course with other people who were like-minded like that really suited me um to be able to kind of have those conversations and stuff with them yeah definitely um so you're in you're in the law and business course at what stage did you really realize that you weren't going to go down the law route um and go down that business route instead and do you think that you know I mentioned in in the introduction a lot of your involvement in business and entrepreneurial um side of college life was that really something that shaped your decision do you think yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me, like starting off in law, the law side was always what I was more interested in. It was certainly what I saw myself going into after college. Um, and it was only third year college where I started kind of exploring the business modules, entrepreneurship modules more, and kind of through that going into societies. So in particular, I got involved in um, TEDx and then the Trinity Entrepreneurial, Entrepreneurial Society and the Social Entrepreneurial Society. Um, and I think, yeah, it was really through that that I kind of decided to look more um, at the business and technology sides of the degree um, and, and what I'd be interested in uh, career wise that kind of aligned with that after college. Um, so that kind of for me started at the Mathis and Blockchain Hackathon that I attended mm -hmm. when I was in third year college. Um, and I attended that completely by accident, to be honest. Um, I was working as the head of events for the Trinity Entrepreneurial Society or Social Entrepreneurial Society. And um, it's a very small society in Trinity. We didn't really have a lot of uptake on members um, and we were trying desperately to think of things that we could get to get pe more people involved. And so what someone said to me one day at a meeting was, why don't we run a hackathon um, and looked at me and said, you're the head of events, you figure out how to do that. And I was like, oh God, like is a hackathon not, I don't know where 
people try and hack into some company or is it like some kind of bit of like illegal activity like how can I set that up um so I went home that evening and looked up um hackathons in Dublin and found one that Matheson were hosting that weekend and I realize now that the person who I emailed to ask could I attend was actually one of the partners at Math Event, which is probably really embarrassing. But I sent <laughs> this big email saying that I was so interested in blockchain. Um, that was the topic of the hackathon. And could I please attend as a tr Trinity student? Um, and she sent me a lovely email back being a really warm welcome um, to come and join the hackathon. So showed up Friday evening was welcomed with like canapes a glass of wine and people were in suits um and I kind of very quickly realized that it wasn't a student hackathon um and felt very awkward <laughs> um I basically invited myself to a corporate hackathon that Matheson had organized for their corporate clients <laughs> um but I couldn't really leave at that point so sat down with everyone else um and being for corporate clients were extremely well organized they brought in brilliant speakers um from the Deloitte blockchain team and in particular Niall Dennehy from AidTech um, so Atex an Irish startup working in the digital identity space. Um, and so I remember really well Niall standing up that night and um, telling us all about Atex and telling us how they were going to use um, this new technology blockchain, which I'd never heard about before that night, um, and how it was going to kind of solve the world's problems for the distribution of aid. Um, and I think for me, the use case grabbed me more so than the technology. And I could see that the technology was just the game changer that hadn't been there before um, to solve this problem that is age old. Um, and so it was after that, that I got really interested in blockchain um, and kind of decided to explore that then further um, and I've ended up where I am now. <laughs> yeah, um, Niall's a great, great speaker. I've heard him speak as well. In fact, I think we might've heard him at the same event one time too. Um, but yeah, that really kind of reveals so much more of what blockchain can do so yeah highly recommend anyone them to look them up as well um so talk to us then about you've done this hackathon self-invited um hackathon in matheson um and then was it shortly after that then that you um entered the trinity dragon's den competition yeah so the weekend at matheson i proposed an idea with my team um for the verification of educational credentials in the blockchain um so that like has a lot of words in it there but essentially what i kind of latched onto that weekend was the only area that i really felt that i knew which was college education that was where i was at that point um and also the tv show i guess that me and the rest of the group were watching which was suits <laughs> Um, and how Mike Ross had faked his college certificates um, to get into the law firms. Um, so I think for us, that like putting those two things together that weekend, we came up with a system where the blockchain would verify um, people's educational credentials and people kind of have this educational passport that they would carry with them, like a fully verified CV. Um, and so after that weekend, I was really interested in pursuing that idea um, kind of just as a bit of a passion project, but also I think like kind of worth pointing out, um, like college is like a really difficult time, I suppose, and in, in kind of the rat race of um, like, like what internships are you going to get? Like how do you get a job? And I think for me, I kind of saw that idea as an opportunity that I could um, I think like exploit a little bit more and create um, something that would be interesting and kind of set me apart on my CV. Um, 
So I started kind of looking into that idea a bit more and seeing like where I could take it after that. Um, And the Trinity Entrepreneurial Society were running uh, like launch pad sprints um, where they were like taking in anyone who had an idea of any sort, no matter how underdeveloped it was, um, and kind of running you through a couple of week courses with mentors um, where you'd basically like an extended hackathon where you'd work on the idea and create a pitch deck and stuff for it. So I did the um, launch pad sprints for eight weeks, I think at the start of January of that year. And then Dragon's Den came up in February um, and the Trinity entrepreneurial president at the time, he was one of my friends said, Oli, you should definitely enter this. Um, My idea was like purely an idea it only existed on a piece of paper no developers or anything (laughs) not like an ounce of code or anything that made the um, idea feasible but um I decided I'd I'd uh I suppose like jump in um and pitch um and yeah so then entered the Trinity Dragon's Den and ended up coming out in second place and that year with the idea for this blockchain educational platform and so I was a really really exciting opportunity there yeah I I actually remember you you pitching and it was such a and I'd say especially for people who hadn't really understood a lot of the use cases for blockchain before it was felt so visionary in terms of what is possible on it um but for you know I know blockchain can be complex to describe but for someone maybe who's not familiar with it and you briefly touched on what that um you know what your idea did Can you just explain in a really, really basic way um, how that would could or would practically work on a blockchain, what a blockchain is even? Yeah, sure. Um, So I think um, the best way to understand blockchain is through its use cases and the value that it can bring to transforming something. Um, So sticking with the example of verifying educational credentials, um, we all know that when we get our degree now and you go to your university office and they give you a piece of paper that says that you got the degree that you did maybe they send you a pdf but everyone has a pdf editor on their computer <laughs> it's pretty easy <laughs> to falsify your grades or um to change the year you graduated whatever you think ideas in people's heads <laughs> <laughs> exactly and uh kind of harking back to that uh, example again of mike ross like unless someone really decides to dig into check it out which most of the time they don't particularly for graduates um I mean of course if you're going to be the CEO of a bank or something they're going to do a more detailed background check on you but for a lot of jobs um, the resources just aren't put in there to do those background checks um so yeah as I said a lot of fraud potential in that area um and a lot of danger that can arise from that um in terms of people holding positions they're not eligible for or people holding um positions where they should like have legal qualifications to be able to act act in that role say doctor lawyer uh, or financial advisor Um, and so uh, using a blockchain say to issue your educational credentials one of the core benefits of a blockchain is that the information on it um, has a complete audit trail from where from who the issuer was and who it was issued to when and uh, and then an additional benefit that it can't be edited um, so once, say, Trinity issued me my law and business certificate, if it had been issued on the blockchain, um, it'd say it came from Trinity, it came specifically to me as non-transferable, the date and my grades and no way to edit those. Um, and so that brings just an entire new level of security, I suppose, that credential, um, both 
like both for the universities who are issuing those degrees so that um, they know, I suppose, that uh, no one's falsifying um, the grades. Um, no mm. one's saying that they went to that university who didn't. And also for employers to have peace of mind um, that they're employing people with legitimate credentials. Um, so I think, yeah, that those are the two core benefits that blockchain bring to a solution like that. Yeah. Great. If those main, those like kind of buzzwords you hear in terms of things being immutable and having the, the audit trail, um, it's good to get those in, in an example to kind of help people wrap their heads around it. Um, so before we kind of dive into, you know, your work and your work and what you're working on now, um, curious as to whether um, when you entered those started at startup weekend, were you still looking at the blockchain space in that context or were you exploring other ideas um, during that time? Um, yeah, so when I entered Startup Weekend, that was a week actually after the Matheson Blockchain Hackathon. Okay. So I think I caught a little bit of a hackathon bug. Yeah. <laughs> I did that they were a really, really exciting space um, to be in. And, and also I mentioned um, kind of that challenge of like third year, fourth year college, where you're really looking for things that'll help you stand out on CVs. Um, in third year, I'd made the decision not to go on Erasmus. And I think when all of my friends had headed off, I was kind of faced with this extra free time where you don't have all the same people to go for coffee with. Um, so I was looking for some extra and interesting things to do. So Startup Weekend was one of the things that I entered. Um, and that one wasn't um, blockchain specific. It was just a hackathon and um, people showed up, pitched any idea that they had in their head. Um, and then we formed into teams around those ideas. So for example, that weekend I worked on um, a digital business card app um, using NFC technology where you'd bump two phones together and uh, you basically share your LinkedIn credentials with the other person. So pretty simple idea, but it was an exciting one to work on for the weekend. Um, mm -hmm. I think in particular, I've probably harped on loads about hackathons here already, but um, I'd really recommend them to anyone, I suppose, in college or pre-college or post-college. I've often found myself looking for more opportunities to do them now outside of college. And they're definitely not something that's kind of available to like graduate populations. Mm. Um, but I think in particular, like, they really put you in a position outside your comfort zone in so many ways across a very, very short space of time. So usually run over maybe 72 hours. So get thrown into a group with people who you've likely never met before from completely different backgrounds in terms of like their college courses. And um, then you come up with an idea together that you guys get to create and design. And um, you run sessions with mentors um, who are like very educated professionals in the space, which in itself is intimidating and a really good opportunity really to do a bit of a kind of interview skills. Um, and then at the end of the weekend, you get to pitch, which is a terrifying opportunity for certain people, <laughs> <laughs> me included, despite having done like debating and public speaking before that. But um, completely different to stand up with an idea that you've created mm. yourself in the last 24 hours and try and convince um people to give you now what's fake money um but to convince them to invest in this idea that you've built um but I, I think it like really builds like character teamwork um and definitely those public speaking skills so I think kind of gives gives a lot of um building opportunity over a very short space of time yeah really interesting I think startup weekends are just so cool um as well as all of those you know developmental sort of things that you can take away from it it tends to just be really cool really fun and sometimes held and i think the one you did was that one held in google as well mm -hmm. yeah. um, was it, and was that one run by tech stars because you're still involved a bit with the tech stars guys are you 
Yeah, I am. So yeah, that one was run by Techstars and I've stayed um, in touch with them since doing that hackathon and have gotten the opportunity to return as a mentor, which has been brilliant. Although I have to say, I feel a bit of a fraud returning as a mentor. I'm <laughs> definitely not a seasoned professional who's going back to offer my experiences like a CEO as some of the people here in there are. But um, yeah, it's been brilliant to go back and a really, really exciting atmosphere always to get to return to. Yeah, well, I would counter that to say that I think that you, you're a great mentor and you definitely will be giving those. They're probably all looking at you thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> working in blockchain, this mysterious, mysterious thing, um, which leads us on to like, I'd love to hear a bit more about your journey into. So you're in Deloitte now, um, you know, getting your foot in the door there and what your role kind of looks like now, you know, what projects you work on, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um. I met um, some of the then um, Deloitte blockchain team back in third year college. Um, So that was like pre my summer internship um, and definitely hounded them with questions, got their email addresses, asked them, could I meet them for coffee? I'm sure they were so sick of me by the time I actually arrived in in June. Um, But yeah, I did my summer internship with them in the blockchain lab in Grand Canal Dock um, and absolutely loved it. Um, had a really brilliant mentor when I was there, um, Anthony Day, who now is at IBM. Um, and at the end of the summer, um, him and Amy, my current manager, um, said to me, all like, you know, it'd be great if you could continue to be here as a part-time job. Um, and so I absolutely latched on to that opportunity um, and again, hounded them um, to see if there was any legitimacy in an offer like that. Um, and then by September, um, I was able to stay on working two days a week, which is a really incredible opportunity to get my final year of college. So continued to work with them then um, and then joined the team full time after college uh, 2019. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been working with the blockchain team now as a full time consultant for like a year and a half. Um, and working across a huge range of industries from manufacturing, supply chain, luxury brands, um, public sector bodies, um, like both in Ireland and abroad, um, had a very, very unusual client um, out in Atlanta recently, um, probably can't disclose the name, but from a religious sector, which I, <laughs> which I find very unusual. Um, so yeah, like a real a real range of clients. Um, and I've always been, I suppose, really surprised by the companies that you would think kind of seem on the fringes um, a little bit in terms of that one I mentioned on like um, the like religious sector or public bodies um, mm-hmm. who are coming into us interested in blockchain. I think for me, like I'd almost always think that it would be like a Facebook, Google, um, although they have so much going on already, but they have the resources, I suppose, to branch into a really exciting and emerging technology like that. But it often seems to be more traditional companies coming to us with problems that they just haven't been able to solve and looking for blockchain to maybe be the answer to that problem. Yeah, really, really interesting. What you mentioned a few of the use cases there, but curious to know, what you think is the most exciting use case um or like and also i suppose as an add-on you know how you think blockchain you know a broad question but how it might shape our future or what might be that one channel that it'll shape it the most within mm-hmm. um so i might tie those two together um, with maybe what's not the most exciting of opportunities but i think is extremely relevant at the moment um there's a lot of talk 
um, at the moment around the idea of a digital health passport. And I think that's something that could be particularly relevant um, and significant, I think, given that we're hopefully now on the emerging out of COVID-19 space. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think although so many of us are absolutely itching to get back to concerts, restaurants, festivals, sports matches, I think the organizations that run those will have a lot of um, rebuilding, I guess, to do with the public and um, to show them that attending events like that is safe again. Um, and there's there's kind of a an unknown as to how they do that. Um, and I think something like a digital health passport could really, I suppose, like be a game changer in that area. So what I mean by that is that uh, I suppose to, to reference what's probably a bit of a controversial ad from uh, Ryanair, but we've probably all seen at the moment <laughs> is their Vax and Go <laughs> um, <laughs> ad that they have at the moment. Uh, and, and while I don't really know if that's a possibility, it's an interesting concept. And I think like one that a digital health passport could pick up. So whether it's proof of a negative test to show up to a festival or um, a vaccination certificate to travel or go to a sports match. Um, I think the requirement of something like that um, from those organizations be something that would put people, I suppose, at ease and knowing that they can attend and they don't get sick or say for our employers, like for us returning to the office. Um, now I'm absolutely dying to get back in, but I know a lot of people will be really nervous. Um, and particularly no one wants to know that they show up to work um, and get sick just by showing up to their job. So. I think restoring that confidence is uh, definitely going to be a challenge. Um, and so I've, I've touched on a few of those benefits of blockchain that uh, you can't like fraud something that's on the blockchain. It's immutable, it can't be changed. So you can't get a negative COVID test and then, or a positive COVID test and then go in and edit the PDF. <laughs> show up to Glastonbury. Um, so I suppose by putting some of that information on a blockchain, we could, um, create kind of an immutable record um, of some of that stuff for people mm -hmm. to be able to carry around and for organizations I suppose throughout the world or across jurisdictions to be able to verify. Mm. So for someone listening to this who's thinking oh my gosh you know that's so exciting and the possibilities of blockchain are just so vast um, was there anything that you kind of did um, in the beginning to understand how blockchain works a little bit better or you know where would you point someone um, who was looking to kind of get that type of knowledge? Um, so I think there's so many more use cases um, now already than from when I was initially looking. But um, I suppose to give a concrete example, um, Blockchain Revolution by Don and Alex Tapscott is a really good like entry level book for people to read, I think, who just kind of want to know a little bit more about the area, but don't want any of the technical jargon around it. Um, I'm still not blockchain technical. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I know very little, I suppose, about how the technology is actually built. Um, as I said, I'm not a developer, but um, I think understanding use cases is probably the best way um, to really understand the technology and to understand the value that it can bring over other technologies. So why it can do things that AI can't do or robotics, why it can improve a process in a way that they can't and how I suppose it can fundamentally change the process rather than just automating different pieces in it to make it more efficient. Um, so I think, yeah, looking um, maybe to that book um, and then also looking, I think, to the market for use cases. So to look to use cases that Deloitte's implemented, IBM, to look to companies who are exploring it. So um, 
like different banks um, a lot of car manufacturers are also exploring it for um, mapping parts of cars or for improving their supply chain provenance um, and I think to understand some of those and the business value that blockchain brings to them is probably the best way to understand it. Yeah really interesting that, that sounds like some good actionable advice. Um, I also have you read the book called The Truth Machine? No I haven't. Quite an interesting book actually I read it when I was initially um, doing some work in the blockchain space um, so I just thought of that there when you were saying that would add that onto the list for anyone who's kind of looking to understand the use cases a little bit more. Um, and speaking of what well, use cases, or you could argue maybe it's not termed use cases, but um, how do you feel about cryptocurrencies or do you have any yourself? Um, I do have a very small amount of Bitcoin. Um, what should it, <laughs> it turn into not quite so small amount of Bitcoin for a little bit? <laughs> the start of January there, which was uh, exciting for a few minutes, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's something I suppose I still approach with like a huge amount of trepidation despite so many people in the lab being really really heavily invested Um, I remember having a conversation when I started with one of the guys in the lab when we'd been told to set up pensions now that we'd started our first jobs and he uh -huh. said dead that he was putting all of his pension money every month into bitcoin because that was a better savings account for the future which I thought was absolute madness um so yeah, as I said, I own a very, very small amount to Bitcoin. Um, but I think, yeah, like a really, a really, really exciting space. Um, I think purely just because of the unknown around it. Um, I think even say seeing last week um, with the enormous uh, excitement in the stock market around uh, GameStop. Mm. Um, I suppose it, like that is... Um, maybe like a once in a lifetime event but I suppose like a real company sits behind that stock um, and I think that's maybe what's exciting with Bitcoin and with crypto technologies um, but particularly I suppose with Bitcoin um, that I suppose like no one no one knows who or what really sits behind it it's like a self-governing currency mm -hmm. um, and we don't know who's using it we don't know what they're using it for and um, I think that probably brings a lot of danger and uncertainty into it and um, probably makes it a fairly unsafe investment, especially for my friend who's going to use it for his pension. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but also I think makes it really exciting. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what application it's going to have in the future. I, I think it'll be a significant amount of time, like much more than 20 years, I even think, before something like that would be comfortable and trusted enough to be used by people in the mainstream but I think maybe stable coins and um, maybe mm. what Facebook's working on um, DM something like that I think could have um, wide application soon yeah yeah interesting um so a couple more questions that I definitely want to pick your brains on um the first one being when you were leaving college um and now and maybe the comparison between the two of them um, did you consider going abroad, um, you know, in terms of looking at opportunities um, or is that, as I say, is that something that you're kind of look to do in the future? Mm -hmm. um, funny, I think looking back now, um, I'm slightly sorry, I suppose I didn't push myself a little bit more coming out of college. Um, 
I was really delighted working in the Deloitte blockchain team. I worked there during final year, was really excited to join them um, after college. But I think I kind of was blinkered to considering any other opportunities then at the same time. I never looked at any other jobs. That was the one I was going into after college. Um, and I have really, really enjoyed working at it. But um, yeah, as I said, looking back, I'm kind of surprised I never kind of considered moving to London, moving further afield. And um, that was always something that I saw myself doing after college. Um, and I think still do to, to answer the second part of your question. Um, I think I probably see myself in Ireland long-term, um, but I would really love to get the opportunity to work abroad over the next couple of years. Um, whether that's on secondment um, with the Deloitte blockchain team, we have offices all over the world. So that would be really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, or to move into something completely new in emerging technology. Okay, great answer, great answer. So we will see where the, where the wind takes you. <laughs> um, my final question, um, I'm always curious on this, is to get a book recommendation and, or I'm going to say and, because I think you'll have both, but a podcast uh, recommendation um, that you would give. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, huge reader. And I think I've become even more so in the pandemic um, with so much spare time and little to do. Um, and I really love, I suppose, splitting my time reading between reading real books and also listening to Audible, um, which I find is such a great way to digest books, like say like that blockchain revolution one that is kind of difficult to motivate yourself to sit down and read in the evening after a long day of work so mm-hmm. I think getting out for a walk listening to something on audible is really easy to do um, and my favorite book I listened to there last year was Becoming by Michelle Obama yeah. it's read read by her which I found absolutely wonderful and um, kind of felt like a 20 hour interview with her herself where her in the, yeah <laughs> Um, absolutely brilliant um, and I'm not sure if you've read it but I think as like a young woman who studied law there were so many aspects of it that were also really relatable um, like even just in little anecdotes about being in contract law or whatever it was mm-hmm. um, but yeah really brilliant and inspiring book and great to have it read by the author herself um, I know Barack Obama has after recorded his new book as well so looking forward to doing that one this year too <laughs> Um, and then in terms of fiction books, um, my favourite book I read last year was Rebecca by Daphne de Maurier, um, which actually came out as a movie on Netflix, um, which I haven't heard good things about, actually. But the book itself was absolutely wonderful. I think it was written in 1913, which I was shocked by um, because it's really digestible female author from the 20th century. So I was kind of shocked at how easy reading it was, but really brilliant book. Um, and then podcast, my favorite podcast was the Hilo. I'm oh yeah, sure there's loads of people who'd say the same. And uh, it unfortunately yeah. came to an end in December, 